Hey, it's Timmy Manor, and welcome to the Spirit of Sport right here on 1170 SEN. Joining me tonight, like he does every week, Benjamin Little. Yeah, it's good to be here. Thanks, guys. Oh, mate, it's it's good to have you, mate. That was very enthusiastic. I like that. Hey, our special guest this week, he, I've asked around a few of the chaplains in the sporting industry, and our guest tonight... He's got a big rap. He's got a big rap. He's got a very big rap. I'm very excited and honoured to have him on the show. Uh, let me tell you a bit about him. He... Um, has been a bit of a linchpin for the Canberra Raiders for over 35 years. Um, a lot of that, obviously, is a fan, um, but he's also um, someone that a lot of Canberra fans may not have heard of. But I really think it's it's important we talk about him because of his standing in the game and in the club. In 2022, our guest was awarded with life membership, becoming only the 10th person in Raiders history to receive that honour, which is a huge, huge achievement. Our guest is also the vicar for education of the you're going to have to help me out here, Benny. Uh, the one and only. Yeah, what do you say here? Is the, the, the Vicar of Education for... Archdiocese. Uh, well done. Thank you very much. Well said. No, of Canberra and Goulburn. I have read that before. <laughs> hey, I'm excited to have him on. Our guest on the Spirit of Sport tonight is none other than Canberra Raiders chaplain, John Woods. John, thanks for joining us, mate. Thanks, Tim, and um, thanks for the intro. It's quite uh, impressive. Arch, yeah. Archdiocese. Archdiocese. Is that the, that's how you say it? No, I think diocese. Archdiocese. Yeah. Is that right? It's archdiocese or diocese, yeah. yeah. Uh, look, I, I'm actually, to explain, I'm a Catholic priest, um, and that refers to the Catholic Church is divided up around the world into dioceses or archdiocese. Archdiocese oh, no, are probably. Gotcha. Yeah. Uh, so, but I'm a priest of the Canberra Goulburn Archdiocese. Yeah. Gotcha. And we say, so is, is and forgive my ignorance. Vicar is another word for priest. Is that right? For, for education. No, it, oh, we have in the Archdiocese there are 56 Catholic schools, and I'm the Archbishop's representative on a more day-to-day -day basis with those schools in terms of probably strategy and policy and such matters. Not not in the classroom directly, but oversighting the operation because it runs across um, an area 30% bigger than Tasmania wow. and uh, includes little schools, little country schools to big ones here in Canberra, some with about 1,800 kids, so a great variety of situations. Yep. Really interesting. And, mate, uh, reading your rap sheet, it's, uh, it's pretty impressive what you've done and, and I'm, I'm really enthralled with the whole Canberra Raiders life membership, which is a huge achievement. You know, I know, like, being in club land, I know how important and uh, how cherished life memberships are. Um, so for you to have one yeah. is incredible. And that says a lot about your service, um, not only to the club, but also to your contribution to you know, the community and the people around the club. Um, how did that yeah. feel when you received that honour? Oh, look, I'll be honest, it came completely out of the blue. I was at the Raiders function, end of year function, the Meninga Medal night, and... Um, they said, oh, we're inducting another member to life membership. And I started to seriously think, oh, it might be X or Y. And then when they said my name, I, I, I was just stunned. I was, and I don't mean that as a false humility. I was just completely taken aback because, as you say, it is a huge honour. And um, uh, to be only the 10th um, who's received that honour was, was quite something. I suppose you could say cynically, some ways a bit like the Queen, you know, she was around forever and if I've been around the Raiders since 1986, so um, yeah. if you stay around long enough, you'll get um, perhaps a, a gong or such. But seriously, I took it as a great honour because um, I've never taken for granted my involvement with the Raiders and um, 
sure I've gone there as chaplain, but I can honestly say that um, I've learned things from the club and the way they do things. And as you'd appreciate, um, you know, this particularly Tim, that mm. the way clubs operate from the mid '80s. Yep. Up till today, there's a huge difference. Oh, yeah. So we're talking back at Seafed Oval, guys coming in from various jobs, often you know provided by the club, part-time to now fully professional and far more dollars into physio and um, recovery and training and professional awareness and all those things. So there's been a huge change over that time and it's been great to be part of the journey. And as I said, I've learned um, in terms of professionalism, commitment, um, and I think my role has essentially been, well, when I started, there was no guidebook. So, um, you know, there's how you be a chaplain. So I just thought the best thing to do was to join in the, um, the training when I could, like the running stuff and that sort of thing, and perhaps get some, I don't know, acceptance, um, you're having a go. And, uh, I remember one night at Seaford Oval, Sam Bacco, Ah, big Bacco. Yep, yep. Yeah, he, he, he said to me in rather colourful language when it was raining one night, we'd been doing these sprints, what the are you doing here? He said, at least we're getting paid. <laughs> <laughs> I remember thinking, fair point, but um, I, I, I think there's a great potential in sport, um, and this is its attraction in the wider community, to, to tap into things that... Um, unite us all is a sense of community, of achievement, coping with failure. There's also that sense of a tradition, values. You realise that life isn't always fair. Um, and because it's a human endeavour, there's always going to be you know, the possibility of a dark side, um, be it with cheating or gambling or other aspects. Because the people involved are... People who come from mums and dads and families and they've got skills as footballer, but sometimes um, other parts of their life haven't developed as much and um, there is much pressure. And yet again, talking of development, the NRL has really stepped up, I'd suggest, in terms of assisting players as they're moving through and in retirement. And in recent years, the NRL welfare crowd have got the chaplains from the various clubs yeah. together because they see it's very much a hand-in-glove um, initiative. Yeah, yeah. Paul Evansall from the NRL, he's he's always been a big advocate of chaplains at clubs and um, what they can do in terms of helping the players' development, not only you know, during his career, but also help transition post-football as well. So it's great that the NRL and, and people like HEP are keeping an eye on what they can do and, and working with chaplains in that yep. regard. Um, yep, what, very true. What, how did you get involved in the first place? What made you get involved with the Raiders? Uh, well, very quickly, I, I've always had an interest in sport, but I was, um, I'd always have a go at school, but I was never going to be um, anything great in sport. In fact, my, I wanted to be a racing car driver, but anyway, things <laughs> went a different way. Uh, but yeah, nice. I, I'd come back from doing some more study in Canada and at a farewell function for an Anglican priest who um, was moving on, I, I'd only met him at this function and he said, um, oh, one of the things I'm a bit sad about, I can't find a replacement as chaplain with the Raiders. And I said, oh, what's that about? We talked some more. And I knew that then Don Ferner, the coach, and his two boys, Don, Don and um, uh, David, actually were all the boys in the parish. And he said, oh, are you interested? And I said, well, yeah, I'm interested in the footy. And he said, oh, you could do it. And I said, um, 
the, well, yeah, maybe. Um, he said, look, have a yarn to John McIntyre and Don Ferner. One thing led to another, and so it was really, I think from their point of view, it'd be a way of being of support to fellows. It wasn't about, how could I put it, Bible bashing, yep. but unashamedly, I'm, I am a priest, and yet at the same time, it was about engaging with any and all guys, and um, it's developed from there over the years. Um, and look, I'd say 90 plus percent of the time, you're just talking about footy and injuries and so on. But every now and then something, you know, would come up of a more serious nature, be it relationship or issues with gambling or various other things, and they can lead to deeper conversations. And you're not, um, how can I put it, beholden to the coaching staff, the executive or anyone else. Indeed, the office staff are people you try and get to know too. Um, and that's led to, as you appreciate, you know, weddings, baptisms, funerals. Um, and it's about being a presence and, I suppose, an identity figure. Someone said, a chaplain, you become sort of like a father figure around the place. I don't mean a father figure with a collar. I just, perhaps in the Aboriginal sense of an elder. And um, hopefully someone or everyone can feel that if they want to, they can approach you. And one thing I've... I've Never had, in all those years I've been there, I've never had other than um, uh, respect. I mean, there are guys you appreciate who are different Christian traditions, no faith, Muslim, uh, various other religions, um, but no one has ever been other than um, meeting on a very human one-to-one, you know, affirming level. Um, so, yeah, and it's evolved by virtue of developing those relationships. Um, and I, someone once put it very well. They said, a chaplain is someone who just loiters with intent. <laughs> you know, you're around the place and opportunities yep. will yep. open up. And then but a lot of the times, you know, it's just the footy. And so when I go into the rooms before, after a game, sorry, um, yeah, I feel when the team's down, um, and of course I've got my grandstand view of all the things that should have been done weren't done whatever okay. um one thing it has happened big development again you'd be aware of this tim yep. uh something like i think 40 plus percent of the players now are uh, pacific islander maori and um not all but a lot of those guys um are quite religious in a way that in australia mainstream we're not and with the raiders it can vary but you know up to three four five six Sometimes we'd gather in the shower block before a game for prayer, just a short prayer. And um, I remember Ricky Stewart said to me one day when they came out, he said, what do you think the prayer does when you go in there with those guys? And um, I said, nothing. And he said, nothing. And I said, yeah, I said, nothing in that sense, but I think it, for them it brings it all together, their, their personal goals, the team goals. That they realise they've got a talent as footballer, they, they subscribe it as a God-given talent and they want to perform um, and they're putting themselves in God's hands in a way that, as I said, they're more overt and upfront about it. Um, and that's been a relatively big change. The other thing that's interesting with that too is all the other guys respect them. There's never any you know, bad-mouthing that. Um, having said that, back in the rooms, they the language and the explanation of what's going to happen in this game can be very rich and um, <laughs> not the sort of language you hear in the church. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. Mate, you mentioned that um, you've been involved with the Raiders since 1986. Um, what's yep. been like? What's been some of your, your secret in that that longevity, or where does that kind of commitment come from for you? Yeah, well, I suppose going back, I I'm originally from New Zealand. I my mum's cousin was an All Black. My mum's family were involved in horse racing. We won't hold that against when you. When I was growing up, say again. We won't hold that against you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And when I was growing up, people like, um, some listeners may remember, Lionel Rose, the boxer. He was a real hero for me. Ron Clark, the long-distance runner. And there was something about sport and human aspiration and endeavour that appealed. Um, growing up in Canberra in the 60s, Aussie Rules was more than a strong code. A lot of public servants had come to Canberra from Melbourne. and We lived near Marnica Oval, which is now used for cricket and Aussie rules, and um, I'd often go down there every weekend. And I think from experience and enjoying sport, I was never good at anything, but I'd, I'd over the years been a runner, run a few marathons and a good number of um, uh, fun runs. Um, and I'd always had this attraction. I'm not a sports tragic, but the idea of, um, I think a lot of the qualities to be a good sportsman or woman are the similar qualities and values that are foundational to um, religious outlook. You, you have belief in, a, if I could put it this way, a higher purpose. You're willing to sacrifice for that goal. Yep. As I said, it's not always fair. Um, and um, you're part of something bigger. Um, you give of your best and you have a great experience particularly in team sport, of doing it with others. Um, and it reminds us, perhaps like COVID, but more regularly, more by choice, we're formed in community. Um, so I see there's a lot of crossover points between sport and the values arising from religion. Um, and I think part of its appeal to the masses, if I could put it that way, is that there's this sort of a an immediacy, you can see it, you can aspire to it, you can admire it. Um, I suppose the difference is you can be a couch potato and not commit to sport, whereas I think religion at its best requires requires a response. You can't, well, you can be a couch potato in terms of religion, but you've got to get in and have a go. And the other thing too is, as in sport, as in religion, no one has it all together. Um, no matter how good you are, there's always going to be someone better. And no matter how bad things get, um, there's always tomorrow. Um, so I see a lot of crossover points. Um, and even in the scriptures, you know, St Paul talks about running the race. I go back to the ancient Olympics were essentially a religious festival. And the guy who, yeah, shall we say, brought the modern Olympics into being, he saw a lot of um, crossover between religious symbolism and the Olympics, particularly the entrance of the athletes into the, to the area. And, and then the old, in times gone by, the whole thing of the physical, the spiritual, were very closely aligned. And um, I think today sometimes we're not as um, engaged around issues of the body. And I'm not talking just sport at the elite level, but... Um, We've got an ageing population, we've got problems with eating disorder, obesity, um, and how can we learn from our physicality and draw out meaning and purpose um, 
I think at the elite level of sport, it's perhaps easier to do it. But there's also, you know, the old couple who go for a walk, he's got arthritis of an evening. They're coping with their physicality. Um, and what does that tell us about limitation and need of one another and many other things besides? I'll shut up. I'm rambling on here a bit. No, yeah. you're spot on. And I, I, that goes through my mind a lot as well about the, the, the temporary factor of, you know, this, this material world as well. I think sometimes... It's very easy mm. to, to think that this world is eternal and this world is going to last forever. And you know, when you die, that's you know, it's almost like that. That's not that real. Where the reality is, the Bible talks about this being a, a vapor and you know, our lives being so mm. short. And the reality, the eternity is much more real than than where we are right now. And it's going to last much, much yeah. longer as well. So it is good to live with yep. that mentality of and that mindset of having an eye on eternity and understanding that there is something yep. after life. And you're right, the limitations yep, of the physical body does remind you of that. Yep, and it's also like winning a premiership. I mean, you know, I've been involved with, I said, quite a few years with the Raiders, so I've seen those glory days. Mm. But also, you know, when it hasn't been as good. And winning a premiership is, you know, it's great. It's a magnificent thing. But with respect, it's not as good as it gets. Yeah. And um, it can give you an entree into some understanding of, joy and ecstasy but it's it's not as good as it gets um and sadly i think for some people they see it as well if i achieve this if i have that if i do that if i look like this then i've made it well you have well sorry perhaps on one level you have but death's going to put an end to all of it yeah and as you say tim um it's an on it's a beginning but it's not the end of the journey yeah yeah well, I'm not, I'm not just saying yep. this because I um, am envious of the fact that you've won competitions and I haven't. Um, but <laughs> there, I've heard so many, and I've had I've sat down with so many people, not only in sport, in business, in, in all walks of life, that they say that if I thought, you know, once I make my first million or once I win my first competition or once I do all these goals in life, I thought then they'd be satisfied or then they'd have that fulfillment or the joy. And the reality is they get there mm. and they end up getting depressed when they get there because they realize, okay, I'm at the peak that I thought I was supposed to feel fulfilled and all of a sudden I don't I've got an emptiness there still that is was always there yep. um, which is yep. why we're no, so fortunate about true. hope in Christ because regardless of what mm. life throws at you you know that, that we have a hope that's greater than anything that's in this world absolutely look I um, you know how can I put it I, I believe that in all things God is with us made present in Christ through the outpouring of the Holy Spirit and um it gives us, if I sometimes think of it as a handle or perspective. So no matter how good things get, they won't stay that good. No matter how bad they get, they yep. won't stay that way. Yep. Because we are all called to share in the life, death and resurrection. And the resurrection and the call to new life is always there. Um, and I think, how can I put it, for a lot of guys who haven't had a religious upbringing, that's more and more... The whole idea of um, a belief, an understanding, a perspective, it, it's somewhat foreign. And yet, and yet, if you relate it in and through their footy or something that's very dear to them, sometimes some lights can go on. Um, yeah. And they go, yeah, okay, yeah, okay, yeah, right on, yeah. Um, yep. You're, mate, you're spot on. And we, we had a chat mm. um, last week as well with Bill Hunter. Um, and, yep. he, and he was talking about the same thing and, and I've told him that in my experience a lot of the, my opportunities and I was the same you mentioned earlier about not Bible bashing people I was always very cautious to 
not go throwing my faith in people's faces, but a lot of my best opportunities I had to get intimate and talk about my faith and share my story with people is when they were struggling. So whether it's a, you know, an injury or, or a loss or, um, you know, bad form or dropped, don't have a contract, yep. all those times that an athlete can feel, um, you know, yep. I guess that self doubt, that's when I found the best opportunity to speak to people. And I think, I believe God yep. places you there. I believe God places all sorts of Christians in, in different spheres of life for that reason, for that time where, Yep. Someone may be needing that person, and at that time, there's someone in their life that can do it, and that's why your role is so important for yep. a, a sports club. And I'm glad you're there. Um, yep. How do you find it's received? Can I just give you, can I give you a little example of I that? Love I, that. I, I love if that. I may, yeah. okay. um, he, a few years back now, Brett Finch was playing halfback for the Raiders, and we all know Brett's had some issues of late, but um, he was playing against his childhood, you know, idols, the Johnses, and so on. And um, anyway. It was a really tight game. He had the kick and he kicked it out. Um, he went to, yep. yep. And he was really gutted because he thought he, you know, he dashed the hopes that might have been there for a victory. And afterwards, I remember it was around Easter time, and I just said to Brett in the rooms because he was, you know, he was really ticked off with himself. And I said, Brett, there's always Good Friday before Easter Sunday. And he said, I remember, he just looked up and he said, I get that. Yeah, I said, all right. And it is that um, no matter how low, mm. there's always new life. And um, no matter how good, don't think that's as good as it gets. Um, but they can be entree points or understandings or can give some insight into the bigger picture. Yep. Yeah, and in a practical sense, I, I use that example with the good teams. Like you look at the Melbournes and the Roosters of the world and, a lot of them, the the like the problem I found that we had at Parramatta for a number of years was when we lost. It was, you know, we're in the pits and we're depressed and no one talk and it's you know you can't smile in the sheds. And then when we won, there was music and beers and partying and in the sheds and it was like a real diverse experience. And the good teams seemed to not go, not do the extremes with the ups and the downs. They kind of stay. You know, they win, yep. they yeah, go back they in the sheds, they sing their song, and they go back to business, get dressed, have a shower, get ready for next yeah. week. Um, I think yep. that's yep. what breeds success. And it's, it's funny you mentioned that because yep. life's the same too. If you can learn to understand that the bad times aren't going to last and the good times won't last forever and navigate mm. through that with that in mind, it actually helps, puts you on good stead to have a successful life. Absolutely. And I, I remember um, um, Craig Bellamy, who, you know, played down here and I remember when he was playing here then went on to Brisbane and Melbourne and um, had great success and um, uh, popping into the rooms after a game they'd actually beaten Canberra and uh, had a bit of a chat and um, yeah, he's a guy who's had that focus and as you say doesn't get carried away with a victory and will learn from a mistake or learn from a loss um, yeah. and uh, having said there's a little funny story uh, I remember Ashley Gilbert, he played with the Raiders um, in those very early days and was a good player. And he came into the dressing rooms and was talking to Craig Bellamy. And he said, Craig Bellamy said, oh, look, Ash, we've got to get going. We've got to go to the AIS, to the baths, you know, the hot and cold baths, the ice baths. And Ashley Gilbert said, what do you mean going over there? He said, oh, it's about rehab, you know, recovery. And he said, bloody hell, Craig. He said, when I played football, the only ice I saw after a game was in a Bacardi and Coke. (laughs) (laughs) It it just struck me how in that comment, 
the change in football over the years. Because the other side of the coin is football's become so professional and being professional is about winning. And yet the human factor must remain because otherwise if we just become robots, we're missing the point. After It is a game after all. It's competitive and you want to win, but you've got to keep things in perspective and relationships are so important. And I can say this not because I'm you know, trying to pump up your tyres, but something came up there, I remember once, of the Raiders and Rick, Ricky Stewart said something, something about Parramatta, and I said Parramatta or whatever, and he said, yeah, he said, Tim Manor there, he's one of the best blokes I've met, fair dinkum, he's a lovely fellow. And I said, oh, and that was, and he said from his time at Parramatta, I know it all it didn't end the best, but he... Um, he spoke genuinely, and I, you hear that time and again, different people talk about different people and very affirming the influence they've had and they, they, they've valued that they've met them and they've learned from them and friendships and relationships, um, you know, that, that influence continues and it's good to see. Ah, thanks, mate. Well, the feeling, feeling is mutual with me and Sticky because uh, it's funny, a lot, a lot of para fans don't like it when I speak publicly and talk about how much I love Stick and, you know, they've all, mm. they're... they're their biases yeah, and why they sure. don't like him. But I I couldn't I couldn't he's one of my favourite humans, not just coaches, one of my favourite humans mm. that I've come across. And mm. I'll tell you a lot of things that people don't know. For example, um so he signed my brother Johnny the Sharks, um, you know, mm. as a nineteen year old. Johnny got cancer in his first year of his career and you know, he was on good money for a young kid. Yep. And, you know, the board at the Sharks at the time would prefer that, you know, they, they ripped up his contract, which was, you know, kind of fair enough. He's one year into a three-year contract, and he's got cancer. So yep. I can understand why they sure. want to move him on. But Sticky stuck his dug his heels and said, "You know, it's not on his watch. You gotta let him go." So you know, that meant a lot. Mm. And then you know, Sticky would come to my parents' mm. house and visit Johnny all the time, and no one knew about mm. him. Um, and then I was yep. lucky enough to play under Sticky in Origin and at Parramatta, and mm. I got the world of respect from even now. You know, we have a great relationship still. Yeah. Um, you know, yep. there's, it's that side of Sticky that a lot of people don't know and you know he, he'll, he'll never yep. tell anyone about it but um, you know anyone that yep. knows a real sticky uh, yeah they, they mm. think the world of them as well yeah now and I think and that's the thing too that when you're in the public eye understandably be a politician or a sportsman actor whatever people by virtue of what they see and hear created their own impression and the reality can be often quite different. I mean, you think of Wayne Bennett, think of Craig Bellamy, you yeah. can think of others, and players too, you know. Um, uh, the public persona is not always the um, the, the individual, and uh, it's part of the deal. Public, they will um, make their judgments, and you live with it, for better or worse. Yeah. Yep. Mate, where did it all begin for you? Where did your faith journey start? Uh, well, sorry, I've forgotten your first name. Sorry, it's Ben. Ben, ben sorry, yeah, Ben. Yeah, I'm a big deal yeah, in some ben. circles. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Good on you, Ben. Ben, look, I was I was raised um, like as a young kid. I went to a Catholic school, um, so I had some nuns when I was younger than brothers. So it was around. But I think personally, for me, it started probably. Oh, probably high school. Um, when I looked at the parents of some guys I knew, there were some priests I knew, there were some brothers who taught me, and I started to think, I remember that I moved towards the end of school saying, you know, what do I want to do with my life? And we'd gone back to New Zealand through circumstance, and 
I was going to go to uni or do law and I wasn't sure, nothing particularly appealed. And because of some of these priests I'd met, I thought were really down-to-earth guys and I thought what they were about was worthwhile. I decided... I remember going to a church in Auckland and just sitting there and being quiet and I'd read some scripture and I'd reflected and prayed and so I decided... I'm not sure if this is what God wants me to do, but I need to find out. So that's later on I went off to the seminary. And when I went there, I still wasn't sure. I knew I wanted to be a follower of Jesus, um, but as in what way, I wasn't sure. But in time, the idea of being a priest consolidated, and here we are. Um, so it was a gradual thing, but I think early on it was just, you know, you're a kid, you're a family, we're going to church, we're doing this, you know. But when towards the end of high school, and then I think more specifically, that time I can still take it to the place in Auckland, the church, um, where I, I remember going down there, from, was a, I was at a government school in the last year, and just sitting there and thinking, what's God calling me to do? And in some ways, that time, I still look back, we're amongst the, where I most felt aware of God's presence, and was most willing to go where it would lead, and I didn't know where it would lead. Um, over the years, I've had that sense confirmed, but I've also had it challenged um, in different ways. Um, but I think, as I mentioned before, relationships influenced me to look to, to that more personal God in my life. So now relationships as a priest, including the Raiders, um, confirm certain things for me and challenge me about other things in my faith journey. Um, I, I had never had a... I haven't been, and I mean this with the greatest respect, being born in the spirit in that sense of... Um, I can't refer to a time like that, but I do know as a priest um, celebrating the Mass or various other things, and I'm talking the Catholic tradition, I'm very much aware of God's presence mm. and I'm very much aware of being privileged in engaging with people in terms of times of great sorrow and great joy. Um, and as you hear people's stories, it keeps confirming um, that which is basic to all humanity. And, and it's a real privilege. Um, so that's something of my journey, yeah. Mate, if we could um, split your... Uh, personal journey with God in in two, like the start of your life and now the later part of your mm. life. What would be some of the most significant, um, you know, evolutions, if you will? Sorry to use that term in a Christian's uh, question, <laughs> mm. but what would be some of the biggest, um, you know, uh, you know, evolutions of your your faith and your understanding of God from being a young Christian to now being a much more senior, mature, um, you know, God follower. Yep, yep I'd say. That's what I was indicating before. When I was younger, I was going with the flow, if I could put it that way. Yeah. But then I got to a point um, where I thought, I'm not sure what I want to do with my life, but I know I want to do something that I considered worthwhile. And I knew that it was going to be, as I understood it then, perhaps in a certain naivety and immaturity, I want to do it in communion with God. Um, and it moved from looking I've always looked up to and learned from other people but it, it, it came to a point okay John John Woods what are you about um, and I think 
I found when I went to the seminary, that's where you're trained to be a priest, um, it was, took seven years, um, there were times when I was going to leave because I thought there were blokes who were much more suited than me who left. And yet the more I went on, I realised if I let go, let, what shall we say, let go and let God, as the saying goes, let God's spirit move, it's funny how my life gets a lot easier. It's when I try and get a handle on it and control it. And I think for me personally, I've become more aware of that when I've, and still to this day, although I'm not consistent, just spend time in God's presence quietly, bringing together all the things that have gone on, but being, shall we say, face-to-face with God in quiet prayer, drawing on scriptures, drawing on some reading and elsewise, and letting God be God. Um, So it's not a matter of not worrying about things, but it's confident that if this is where I'm meant to be, God will provide. Just get with the game plan, John, and it's not about you in the first instance. It is about you responding, but it's a letting God, you know, how can I put it, be in the driver's seat. Um, So I don't know if that helps, but that's that's something of how I... Is there any characteristics of God that you're much more aware of now than you were when you were younger? Yeah, I used to, when I was growing up, I probably had a, you know, um, I never overly say, but I had this sense of God, you know, looking down and being aware of the things I did or didn't do and judging and all that sort of thing. Now I'm more aware of God at times, I suppose in an image, at times he, he, he sort of, pardon me, when I've stuffed up, sort of looks and goes, oh, John, come on. A, a smile, but it's a smile that says, don't just leave it there, but it's almost saying, come on, you're, you're better than that. Not in the sense of squeaky clean, but in the sense that, John, um, come on, we, we, you know, that's not what we're about. Um, so, so a God who becomes a mate, but is always a father figure. Does that make sense? Yeah. He's both a brother and a father. And he knows me better than I know myself. Um, and that's why I've sometimes said this to people, and this might bring it together a bit. Prayer is a very dangerous place. Don't go there unless you're open to the truth of the matter, if I could put it that way. Um, uh, prayer to me is sometimes like physical exercise. The hardest thing to do is to start. And by prayer, I don't mean rape prayers. I mean that sense of as a couple knowing in intimacy, just being quiet together or being present to each other, being truly present to God. And he looks at me and I look at him, so to speak. And there's both a challenge and a great reassurance in that. Yep. Yeah. And, mate, you've had some experiences. You talked about the years you've been there. You've had some big names in Mal Meningo, Ricky Stewart, Laurie Daly. What's Yeah. What was your relationship like with those guys back then? Because it was a different time, and I guess um, faith and football wasn't as correlated as it is, it is today. Yeah. Um, how was it received back yeah. then? Yeah, well, look, I think um, when I started in 86, actually that was the year Mel, Mel Meninga came to the Raiders. It was also and last then, year uh, I won a lot- competition, so it's a long time ago. <laughs> I remember being out there and seeing Peter Sterling and all these guys come down and flog Canberra. But, um, but look, yeah, um, now those guys, those early days, Canberra had 
a number of players who went on to become household words, uh, words, household names, but at that stage showed great potential and, and um, they gelled and went, you know, things went from there. But I think when Don Ferner with John McIntyre initially basically said, well, look, this is Father John, he's going to be around and whatever, I think the fellows basically thought, oh, yeah. And that's why I said very early on, I joined in some of the training and whatever, and, and then later on I'd, I'd do laps of the Oval and help with the kicking and all that stuff. Not to do other than just to be around and it become a point of conversation. And I think like in any relationship, initially there's, you know, who is this guy? And then they get to know you and you get to know them. I, I've told this story before, but the thing that captures it best for me was the 1989 Grand Final, very quickly. Yep. Earlier that year, I played them a song about Terry Fox, who's a Canadian guy who ran two-thirds of the way across Canada with a prosthetic leg. He was trying to raise money for cancer. Rod Stewart wrote a song called Never Give Up on a Dream. Building on that, and then the night before the Grand Final, I wrote a letter to Mel saying about dreams coming true and you've put the effort in, and I drew on that passage from Ephesians where it says, may your hidden self grow strong and talking about, um, well, actually, Mel said, would you talk to the players before the game? And that, that sort of threw me because a grand final of all occasions is you know pretty tense before you go out. So I remember we had all the fellas in the room and I just said, look, you're all here because you've put in, you've all got a dream to win. This game will summarise so much of who you are. And I said, you've got to bond with each other, and you, you call it mateship. I'd also call it the movement of the Holy Spirit. And that's why I pray that your hidden self grows strong, because the true you has brought you to this point, and yet you've been brought to this point by virtue of family and friends and others. And here's an opportunity to um, affirm what you're about and give thanks for those who've supported you. And um, I said, now open your eyes and look into the eyes of everyone else. And they did. Um, and that was just before they went out. And I remember Chris O'Sullivan, just before they went out, he said, if we get behind, we'll come back, we'll come back. And I don't know why or how, because I just wrote this letter to Mel, sort of like a support or, you know, good on you, take it, hope it goes well. And I understand he used it as a base of a team talk the night before. Um, but it sort of convinced me that, what I was saying earlier, the aspirations of religion and sport, there are many parallels. Um, sport's not as good as it gets. Religion is ultimately, and faith, is, that's, that's where it's at. But sport can provide an entree uh, point to appreciating that. Um, and I think that happened that day and as we know, they went on and won that grand final. Um, what a game that was. And my attitude has, al has always been, you know, walk with people and find common ground to open them up when the opportunity arises. Yep. Yeah. That's such a good way to do it. And like I said at the start of the show, mm. the fact that you won or you've been presented a life membership says the amount of impact you've had at that, at that team. Is there is there a highlight looking back at the career? And, um, obviously, you've been there for so long. There's been a lot of good times and bad times. What, what's your favourite moment or something that sticks in your mind as a, as a really good memory? Uh, I'd say there's um, 
some private conversations. That 89 grand final, um, because that brought together so much. Um, also, there have been occasions of weddings of certain players oh, yeah. and indeed funerals. Funerals of um, fellows, uh, well, some sad and some just with longevity. Um, and on those occasions, in a sense, you've got a, it's usually a big crowd and a captive audience and you can hopefully engage with them around the issue that sees us gather. Um, I, I always found it very interesting that, and as I said, I had absolutely no idea about that Life Membership Award. But it was around that very time, I recall, that the Essendon Footy Club, you remember their, um, I think, CEO, was given the boot because his affiliation with the church that um, yeah, that's uh, right, had yeah. spoken particular ways about same-sex relationships and uh, saying, you know, be gone sort of thing. And, um, and here the Raiders at the same time were affirming, I'd say, a man of faith with life membership. And to me, we hold a treasure and you must respect the turf you're on with a footy club. But if you can engage with that treasure and be true to yourself and true to the, the, the treasure you hold, I think you'll find we can find common ground and, and people respond to that. Um, they may not always agree, they may not always see it the same way, but they'll respect it, yeah. So good, mate. And you know, we're running out of time with the show, so it's been so good to have yep, you. Yeah, sure. What would, sure. Um, what would be your one bit of advice for you know a, a young person looking to be involved in sport uh, in a similar way that you have as in a chaplain role? I think, I, I, I'm not trying to generalise it too much, but I'd say this, be yourself. Mm-hmm. Uh, don't try and be someone you're not. Be respectful and listen and be willing to learn as well as engage. Yep, that's great. Mm. John, we're, mm. so, we're so thankful for your time, but also we're so thankful for the pioneers that people like you have been in our sport. Um, it's it's because of, you know, the you know, you putting yourself in that position is um, open doors for Christian athletes and, and athletes of all faith to be able to be more comfortable in their own skin sure. and have that confidence in yep. their own belief and, and be more public about it. And, mate, we're really grateful for the fact that you did it at a time when it wasn't an, a normal thing to do. So um, I appreciate what you've done in the game and obviously congratulate you on all your achievements. Life membership is incredible and the legacy that you have is going to be around for a long time. So thanks again for your time, John. Thank you very much, Tim, and thanks to... Can I just give a final plug? There's a group under yep. these auspices I work, and there are chaplains involved with them right across Australia. It's called Sports Chaplaincy Australia. Yeah, I've heard of it. And it's yeah. people of all Christian, Christian traditions. It was originally called Sports Life and Ministry. It's now Sports Chaplaincy Australia. And they're doing things with elite teams and, um, how can I put it, the um, neighbourhood netball team, cricket, footy, whatever, yep. um, and trying to engage through sport with where they are yeah so how can our listeners learn more about that uh well it, it, the best thing probably just if you put in sports chaplaincy australia i can't yep. recall the actual um webpage but it will it will indicate there and they do uh training sessions and um they're looking to get people um you know it's one thing talking about the raiders nrl and all of that but you know in the neighborhood um basketball netball whatever um, there could be someone who could say, look, yeah, I've had an interest in that way and I perhaps might get involved. And there is training and support. 
Um, so awesome. Sports Chaplaincy Australia, SCA. That's great. That's awesome, John. Thanks so much. So good. Yep. Thanks again for your time, mate. And I uh, look forward to good seeing the Green Machine go out and kill it this year as well, mate. Thanks, Dave. And John. I'll say you later, Rick, for you. Yeah, appreciate yep. it. Thank you. Cheers, mate.